Yep. You know, I guess I should put my glasses on. So I look official. Kind of looks good. <laughs> All righty. Okay. So it, we are now recording. Uh, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Point Counterpoint podcast. I'm your host, Chris Wright. And today I've brought on a guest, Bill Thompson, from the Now, You've, now I've Heard Everything podcast. So I'll let you uh, introduce yourself to start off here. Well, I was a professional radio newscaster for 45 years until I retired two years ago in the, in the fall of 2018, uh, largely due to health issues, but that's a whole nother story. But I had a very happy 45 years. Now I'm a podcaster because during many of those 45 years, I interviewed a lot of celebrities and a lot of authors and a lot of uh, you know actors, singers, musicians, things like that on the radio. And so now I'm re, I've archived all of them. I could I couldn't turn the camera and show you my archive, but it'd be messy. Uh, I got a whole wall full of boxes of tapes over here, and I've saved literally about ten thousand interviews that I did over the years. And I'm now one at a time reintroducing those to a new audience that may not have ever heard them before. Incredible! I've been I've been listening to your podcast, and it's it's really it's it's a little it's a little hidden treasure out there in the in the podcast universe. You know, it's just little glimpses of history. Like you, you look back and you're seeing all these people that maybe at the time they were uh, mar marginally famous, but now they're like really big. So, you know, you'll have like uh, Barack Obama before he was president and Jimmy Carter and Neil deGrasse Tyson and all these, and Barry Goldwater and all these, uh, all these just high level individuals, which is pretty amazing uh, for me. And, and actually you've hit on, and actually you've hit on something. This is one of the purposes that I wanted to set up because many people your age only have kind of a vague recollection perhaps of who Barry Goldwater was. Mm -hmm. uh, and I mean, he's very fresh in my mind because I'm an old guy, yeah. um, but he's very important in our country's political history. Uh, and I, I found when I went back to that 1987 or 88 interview I had done with him, I found out how relevant it still sounds today given the politics of our time. And mm -hmm. Barry Goldwater, keep in mind, was a, he was, he was not a rhino. <laughs> he, was, he was a Republican's Republican way yeah. back in the day. And to hear him talk about how rough and tumble politics was in 1988. Wow. He'd be, he'd be stunned at what it's like today, but I have a lot of fun digging out those old interviews. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of these people are, especially Barry Goldwater, people like you only hear about like in history books, like, you know, he was the Republican candidate against John mm -hmm. F. Kennedy uh, in the election of 1960. Wait, wait, was it? It was 1960. No. Uh, actually against, Nixon, uh, against Lyndon Johnson in 64. Oh, it was, yes, it was, right. it was Johnson. Yeah. Yes. It was 64. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yes. And, and it was, and it was, uh, and, and it's not, and, but it's not just him. I mean, I've uh, interviewed, it occurred to me one day because somebody asked me if I've ever, ever interviewed astronauts. Mm -hmm. And I got to thinking, you know, you've heard of the Mercury seven, you know, the right stuff, the original seven astronauts. I've interviewed four of them. Mm -hmm. That's, I mean, I, I, I astound myself sometimes. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah, so I wanted to um, start out here with uh, how did you get your start in radio, and you know what what really sparked your interest, like your development in this career. Well, I'm by nature a pretty shy guy. I mean, <laughs> what you're saying now is not me. <laughs> I'm I'm pretty shy, but always part of me wanted an audience. It's sort of like I wanted to be heard. I wanted to be somebody that people would talk about, you know, in the third person, you know, like, did you hear Bill Thompson on the radio today? Yes, I did. Um, so it turned out when I was in high school, I was a junior in high school. It turns out two friends of mine, we only had two radio stations in my little hometown. And my friend Joe worked for one of them. My, my friend Phil worked for the other. Mm -hmm. Well, when Joe's station had an opening, Joe said, you want to come in and try out? I said, I've never been on the radio before, but sure. And within a few days at age 17, I had a show on the radio, a real radio station. I was playing the hits and I thought, this is, this is not real. This is, I, I, my gosh, I'm on the radio. People hear me. I don't know, maybe tens of people hear me. <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and it just went from there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to see, um, see the, the way that the way the radio has really evolved over the years, you know, um, you know, it's, you know, it's started out with, um, 
you know, we used to have all these different radio dr dramas and stuff like that. And, you know, nowadays it's, it's the, all mm -hmm. that stuff has mostly gone into, you know, TV and now YouTube and stuff, podcasts. Uh, and then uh, mm -hmm. I, I would almost argue that really the, the end of that sort of, uh, that sort of drama, stuff like that almost ended with, with Prairie Home Companion, uh, Garrison Keillor, who, uh, <laughs> the show still exists, but it's uh, a changed form. Um, Mm -hmm. that's that, no you're, that, you're that right radio thing. has changed a lot so. yeah i mean even that's... even just since i got into it radio has changed a lot mm -hmm. corporate ownership has changed it dramatically mm -hmm. uh a de-emphasis on anything local has changed it dramatically when i got into radio when i got into radio back in the old days when i got into radio Almost every radio station in America, even top 40 rock and roll stations, had fully staffed local news departments. There was a station in Chicago, a, a big station called WLS. And uh, it was, oh my gosh, that was a screaming 80, 89 WLS rock and roll. They had a news department of seven people. And every hour of the day, they would do a full newscast at the top of the hour. Mm -hmm. Now, what music stations these days even know what town they're in, let alone do local news. So it, it's, it's very different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Now, all, now a lot of the biggest, you know, talk radio and stuff like that are people like, um, you know, Howard Stern, he's, he's big, um, uh, you know, people like that. It's more national mm -hmm. stuff. Um, NPR. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, the, the the death of local radio is is really a shame. I mean, there are some stations in some small towns across America that are automated and they just pipe in via satellite uh, or even via the internet, uh, just syndicated programming. And they it's like they don't even have a local audience. I mean, there was, there was a famous story a few years ago. There was a tornado sweeping through uh, an area, I think, of South Dakota. Mm -hmm. And instead of live people getting on the air and saying, uh, excuse me, folks, there's a tornado warning. Mm -hmm. The station just kept playing the automated music. There yeah. was no hint of anything. I mean, you could have been listening to a station in the Bahamas for all you knew. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's, that's really sad. Yeah. Uh, the next thing I want to ask was, um, you know, so out of all these different people that you've interviewed, um, you know, what's, what's, What's something, or or it could be multiple things that you've learned from from all these years of of talk radio, and uh, you know, that that gives you the the phrase. Now I've heard everything. You know. <laughs> well, all right. That phrase actually came from a a man who has been a long time. He's been a both a boss, a mentor, a coach, a cheerleader for me. I mean, he's been all of the above. One of my favorite people in the whole world. His name is Holland Cook. And he's a, a very, he's, he's actually on TV now on the RT network. He has his own show. But Holland Cook, a few years ago, he knew I wanted to write a book about my interviews. Mm -hmm. And that's still kind of on the way back burner, but that's a whole other story. Uh, and one day I was in the studio editing something. And all of a sudden the studio door just flings open. And he says, I know the title of your book. He says, now I've heard everything. I thought, yes, that's a perfect title. So I've adopted that title now for my podcast. And I guess to answer your question more directly, mm -hmm. what I've learned is that everyone, not just the famous people, because I've interviewed a lot of people you've never heard of. Mm -hmm. Everyone has something that is their claim to fame. Mm -hmm. Somebody, for example, many years ago, I interviewed a woman and her, she was an advertising executive. I guarantee you've never heard her name, mm -hmm. but she's the one who came up with the phrase, with a name like Smuckers, it has to be good. Yep, yep. <laughs> I interviewed the guy who came up with, I, came, I, came, I interviewed the guy who came up with, you know, the, the, the Coke, that, that, red, that red swirl line, you know, of Coke. He invented that. Yeah. Uh, I've talked to, other people who have been held prisoner in a Chinese prison camp. I've heard, I interviewed an ordinary housewife from Long Island who was on a, on vacation in Turkey and got arrested, accused of smuggling antiquities out of the country. And this nice housewife from New Jersey or Long Island or whatever suddenly finds herself in a Turkish prison. Wow. Mm -hmm. I mean, really? I mean, everyone's got a story. 
and some of them are, and that's, and it's again, not just the celebrities, not just the famous people. Oops. Everybody has a story. Everybody has a claim to fame and, yeah. and they're the most fascinating people in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's I'll bet you, I'll bet you have a claim to fame. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like this show, <laughs> you could say, um, but you know, well, yeah, uh, you know, all right. One, one of the, one of the first, one of the first interviews that I listened to that you've done, you did uh, Timothy Leary's son. Yeah. That was a good catch. I mean, that yeah. was a good interview. It was a good catch. And you know, I don't know how you managed. I don't know how you did that, but uh, but that was a that was a good good catch. I heard I heard Zach being interviewed on a documentary that I was watching one time, and I went, I got to get that guy on. This this looks really good. So I I I found his social media and I, I gave him a message. So that was a that was a great that was a great talk they did. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, Timothy was super famous back in the in the sixties, you know, with tune in turn on drop. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and and, and again, that, that comes back to what I was saying a moment ago. I really like with now we've heard everything to be able to reintroduce people to those little pieces of history uh the little the little you know I, I used to tell publicists you know when I was trying to set up uh, interviews with one person or another uh I I love people who've had just a little hand in changing some little piece of history. It doesn't mean, I don't, you know, it's great to have Jimmy Carter or Barack Obama or Al Gore or people like that, because they've, they've actually changed history. But what about, you know, the lady who came up with the Smuckers logo? I, I interviewed the woman who invented the Barbie doll, the yeah. guy who invented GI Joe. Uh, mm -hmm. They changed history in, in mm -hmm. their own little way. And I love meeting people like that. Yeah, a lot of these people that were so influential on like popular culture, like you said, the guy that that influenced the the logo for Coca Cola, they got you know their their legacy mm -hmm. lived on, but mm -hmm. they themselves were lost. And so it shows like yours that bring that mm -hmm. bring that back to the popular consciousness. And you're doing your part with yours. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, uh, so um, another another. Uh, a viewer question that I had is, uh, what's it like interviewing so many famous people? And also, uh, who was your favorite uh, to interview all these people? Well, the first the first part of that, what it's like is mm -hmm. once you get past the first couple of really famous people and mm -hmm. you realize, wow, they're just they're just people like mm -hmm. the rest of us. Yeah. Then it's all then it, it, it's a piece of cake after that. Yeah. Occasionally, I would get very starstruck. And I mean, even even after you've met dozens or hundreds of celebrities, there's always one that really, for me, there, there was. And then when you ask my favorites, one of my favorites was Captain Kangaroo, mm -hmm. who was, a, you know, obviously a childhood hero of mine. Mm -hmm. uh, and he was on Now I've Heard Everything a couple of months ago. Another one, and I'll, I'll reveal this for the first time here on your podcast. <laughs> my season three of Now I've Heard Everything, which, which will be on January 4th. That I will be launching season three with my interview from 2000. What was it? 2001, I think, with Don Knotts. Oh, now he was a childhood hero of mine. Oh, cool. We're talking Deputy Sheriff Barney Fife, five time Emmy Award winner, the star of Ghost and Mr. Chicken and the incredible Mr. Limpet, uh, also co star on Three's Company back in the 70s. Uh, Don Knotts was like, a god to me <laughs> so i did get a little starstruck with him <laughs> yeah but uh but uh, it's once once you realize now here's the other thing i have i my two daughters who were mm -hmm. children when i was during the height of when i was doing my interviews they're both uh, grown and gone you know and now i have grandchildren uh but i used to bring my daughters with me occasionally to meet famous people and the first couple of times they met somebody famous like alex trebek uh you know somebody like that uh they were a little like oh my gosh oh my gosh oh my gosh but after they'd met a few celebrities then they realized Okay, well, they're important and it's fun to meet them, but they're just people. Oops, I keep hitting my microphone. <laughs> they're just people like the rest of us. Uh, and, you know, the day I, I interviewed William Shatner one day mm -hmm. and I brought my daughters and a friend of theirs. And this friend of theirs had never met anybody famous. So 
we all we're all sitting down in the studio and I'm sitting here and William Shatner sitting next to me and and then across the table are my two daughters who are like hey Bill how you doing no I'm not like that but you know they're they're just you know they you know but their friend who had never met a celebrity spent the whole time going, Mm -hmm. <laughs> she just had no no conception of what it was like to meet a celebrity <laughs> uh -huh. and i mean bless her heart i mean you know a lot of people most people probably haven't uh but you know they're, they're just people i mean maybe they've accomplished something more than other people but in the end they're just people like the rest of us they have uh, pimples and they have uh, you know um, itchy skin, or they have, you know, hemorrhoids, or you know, whatever else. <laughs> they get in bad moods and good moods. I've interviewed some in bad moods, um, and and it's it just, you know, they're they're no better, no worse than the rest of us. Yeah, yeah. And uh, another question I, that I that I had was, uh, you know, what, what, what about Jimmy Carter? Like, was there anything specific uh, that struck you about that interview? Uh, I actually interviewed him one, two, three times. Three times. The first time I interviewed him, I interviewed him and Rosalind Carter together. Oh. And just the nicest, sweetest couple. I mean, it was like meeting my grandparents. Mm -hmm. um, they were just so accommodating. So, so they, they wanted to make sure that I was comfortable. They calmed me down because I was a little nervous mm -hmm. and that. And mm -hmm. then the next two times I interviewed uh, Mr. Carter, um, he again was just so not, he, first of all, he's also very, very smart. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he really is very yeah. smart, but he's also just so ordinary and down to earth in that, mm -hmm. that way that you hope he will be. And he is everything you've heard about him. Uh, you know, I mean, he's 90 something years old and he still builds houses for, mm -hmm. you know, uh, habitat for humanity. Yeah. And I understand why, because he's such a, such a thoughtful and caring person. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I really admire that about him. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so are, are there any, any strategies that you used to interview, like any, any mindset that you would place yourself in to be able to, you know, ask better questions or, you know, uh, talk to these people uh, better? Yeah. Yes. And actually, there is one very important principle. And I think by just judging by the few minutes we've been talking, I think you understand this. Mm -hmm. And that is you have to listen. Mm -hmm. My first few interviews, when I first when I was first getting into it, I would prepare a list of questions and I would have a clipboard and I'd have all these questions typed out. Yeah. And I realized I wasn't listening to the answers. I was just, you know, all right, let's see, you've answered question number one, all right, check. Uh, question number two, check. And I wasn't really listening to what the person was responding. And once I realized, okay, I'll go into an interview. I'm prepared. I mean, I've know, I know if, if they've written a book, I know what the book is about. Maybe I've read the book. Mm -hmm. If they're promoting a movie or a TV show, I, you know, I, I you know, that's what Google is for. Mm -hmm. Of course, we didn't have Google when I was starting, but that's all another thing too. Uh, yep. But once you're prepared, have one for. question ready to launch the interview. And then once you've launched the interview, just have a conversation. Yeah. Again, these are just regular people. And you can ask things that that maybe are on your mind. Maybe the, I used to frame it like the hardest, one of the hardest things is to interview somebody who's been interviewed a million times and you know they've been asked everything. Mm -hmm. So I thought of a question one day. I thought, I started asking, I said, is there one question that everybody asks you that you're just so tired of hearing it? that if you could just answer it one more time, you'd never have to deal with it again. What would that question be? And I got some really, got some, got some really interesting answers because uh, it turns out, well, one of the astronauts I interviewed said that everyone always wants to know, how do you go to the bathroom in that spacesuit? <laughs> he says, if I could just answer that one more time. <laughs> but again, coming back to your question, the, the mm -hmm. best thing is just to listen. Yeah, and just uh, just like you and I have just having a conversation, and mm -hmm. you're doing a really good job of listening yeah. to me and, and feeding on well, you know you. what I'm what I'm telling you. That's that's whether you whether you're interviewing Jimmy Carter or Barack Obama or uh, years ago I had Ariel Sharon, the former mm -hmm. Prime Minister of Israel. Oh my gosh! Or I mean, Bob Dole. Talk about being kind of nervous in Star Trek. He 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 had his own bodyguards, and they had these 
bulging things under their jackets, which I suspect was some sort of automatic weapon. I'm not sure. And they were patrolling the hallway outside the studio as I'm interviewing him. And I'm thinking, okay, uh, I better be very polite. <laughs> but you know, you, you, in a case like that, I wanted to know, I said, you were a general. I said, what does it feel like to order young men and in Israel's case, young women into combat, knowing that some of them are not going to come back alive. Mm -hmm. And he thought about it and he gave me a very thoughtful answer, which I will put in an upcoming Now I've Heard Everything Ooh, podcast. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> That's called a teaser. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I had that problem with my, with my first interview is, you know, I had like, you, you got the strict list and you're like, I'm going to ask this and this, but, you know, then I figured out after mm -hmm. like, I'm like, you know, I should probably try to make it more conversational. And, you know, that's, that's really what people mm -hmm. like to listen to more, the, the more natural conversation and hear, mm -hmm. uh, hear mm -hmm. that, that long form uh, discussion playing out in a, uh, more natural setting, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think because I think sometimes I the person you're interviewing will give you an answer. They'll sometimes they'll give you an answer that you hadn't anticipated, mm -hmm. and you'll think, "Oh, wait a minute, I didn't know that's the direction we were going." Mm -hmm. <laughs> that could be yeah, very interesting. Spontaneity is really nice, is really important. Mm -hmm. I, think, mm -hmm. I think that's what so mm -hmm. many people like about uh, this new uh, this new revolution in long form podcasting. Where um, instead of you know, you know, ten minute mm -hmm. stuff, they can listen to, you know, podcasts can go four or five hours sometimes. Like I'm not sure if you're aware of Dan Carlin. Mm -hmm. He's the hardcore history. He's heard he's the name. A, yes. He's a he's a fantastic storyteller. Um, he talks about all these different historical subjects. Mm -hmm. and, you know, famously long stuff. He's, he started out in radio, but. Mm-hmm. Well, radio is a good breeding ground. Yeah. Um, so I was just wondering, like, like, what are your thoughts on this on this new um, this, this new uh, this new format of podcasting uh, compared to uh, radio? Like, pros cons. Uh, any thoughts on that? The biggest the biggest similarity is what you and I are doing right now. Mm -hmm. Just two people having a conversation with an audience yep. listening in. That's the most that's the most common thing. But here's where the, the huge difference, and this is a huge opportunity for people like you. Mm -hmm. Radio is broadcasting. It sp spreads its signal broadly. And you hope that with this shotgun approach, you'll find a listener here and a listener there and cobble it together into an audience. Mm -hmm. With what you're doing and what, what I'm doing, it's the, they've, they've called it narrow casting. I don't like that term, but it's, it's essentially we are building an audience that will listen just to us. I mean, mm -hmm. we're not part of a radio station. We're not part of a network. We're yep. not putting a signal out there to you know, the whole world, hoping that somebody in their car will have accidentally tune into us. Our listeners, the audience as measured by radio standards might look small, but you know, if, if, if you have um, 10,000 listeners by radio station standards, my gosh, you'd be canceled the next day because that's a really tiny audience by radio standards. Mm -hmm. But by podcasting standards, you're a star if you have 10,000 listeners. Mm -hmm. And that's the big difference. And and I think that's uh, that's going to enable a lot of people who are really talented but could never get that, for whatever reason, could never get that broad audience on radio. Now they have a chance to really shine in their own little niche in, a, in mm -hmm. podcasting. Mm-hmm. And, and a little bit podcasting is a little bit like pirate radio and all like, you know, it's, it's so democratized, you know, anybody, mm -hmm. can, anybody can start a podcast and they can just record whatever they want to talk about, uh, mm -hmm. have, have anybody on the show that they want. Uh, and, uh, and anybody in the world can listen to stop it. hitting my microphone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Actually, uh, on, on TikTok is TikTok is kind of a podcast in a way it's kind mm -hmm. of a hybrid between one minute broadcasting podcast. and narrow casting. Uh, yeah. You, you know, one minute at a time, but it turned out, I looked at my analytics one day on my TikTok account and mm -hmm. by golly, I've got uh, several tens of thousands of listeners in Norway. <laughs> yep. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's the, that's the other I thing mean, I wanted to talk. 
that's the other thing I want to talk about is, you know, how has, um, you're obviously uh, very present on TikTok. How has this changed the way that you've presented yourself, uh, you know, professionally? Like, obviously it's a, it's a change. You know, from I had only been on TikTok for, yeah, no, I don't. I had only been on TikTok for a couple months when I saw a video produced by a young woman that uh, popped randomly popped up on my for you page, mm -hmm. and she made, she clarified things in my mind so clearly in that moment. In less than one minute, in less than sixty seconds, she kind of gently, gently scolded her TikTok followers and said, "It's not about." the numbers. She says, it's not about how many followers you're going to get or how many likes you're going to get or things like that. She says, it's about what makes you happy and satisfied. Mm -hmm. That's why you post on TikTok. And that moment I realized she is totally right. And so to answer your question, that's how TikTok really has changed what I do. Because for many, many years, for almost 45 years, I was in broadcasting, I had a program director or a news director kind of steering me to do this or do that, or say this or say that, or say it this way, or say it that way, because the audience researched and said, that's what we should do. Mm -hmm. And I, not that I couldn't do what I wanted to do. I could still kind of put my stamp on it, but it, was, it wasn't until TikTok that I could really be me. Yeah. And, you know, they always say, be authentic. Well, I, I guess I never really knew exactly what that meant until TikTok. Now I can be authentic and I can do which is now I brought that philosophy to my podcast. Now I've heard everything available on all major podcast platforms. Uh, and I do what I want to do. I, mm -hmm. I put, you know, the interviews on that I want to put on and mm -hmm. I present them and, you know, let the audience chips fall where they may. And I'm having a blast doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like in any, in any online platforms, the most successful people are the ones that are just doing whatever, whatever makes them happy, whatever, doing talk, like if mm -hmm. on a podcast talking about what they're interested in on TikTok, just doing fun stuff. Uh, so, you know, of course uh, the, the most mm -hmm. popular podcast in the world right now is, uh, is Joe Rogan. And, you know, one of the things that makes him so popular is mm -hmm. he just talks about, he just talks about whatever interests him, you know, he'll bring on scientists and mm -hmm. comedians, you know, he's, he's into mixed martial arts. So he'll bring on those people and, you know, people just bring on, whatever interests them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and the, the world is a very rich place. If you start exploring, you know, there's another phrase that I hate, but it's kind of appropriate, you know, get outside your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. I mean, each of us tends to get into a little bit of a rut, a little bit of a comfort zone. And when I was doing interviews with, with uh, celebrities or authors and things like that over the years, excuse me. Um, it forced me to, well, in many cases, to read a book that I never would have even looked at in the bookstore if it hadn't been that I was going about to do the interview. And yeah. I met the most fascinating people. I learned more about, you know, how oil is discovered and drilled for. I learned about uh, undersea, you know, explorations. I learned about politics. I learned about, you know, the governance of, you know, the Seychelles Islands and things all the stuff I never would have thought to go and look up on my own outside my comfort zone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, are there any, are there any guests that you had on your show that really surprised you? Like maybe, maybe because they were not at all what you expected them to be like, or uh, maybe, or maybe they, they said something that surprised you or something of the sort. There was one. And one, well, there were many, but there was one that really stands out. And people ask me this a lot, you know, about somebody who has surprised me. Mm -hmm. And I, uh, the, again, this is an interview I featured recently on Now I've Heard Everything. Mm -hmm. David Cassidy, who mm -hmm. you, your, your older listeners may, re may recognize as the teen idol from the 70s, the Partridge mm -hmm. family, mm -hmm. you know, oh, he was big. He was a mega star. Mm -hmm. I interviewed him. He was about, uh, I guess he would have been about 42, 43, 44 years old at the time I interviewed him long past his, <laughs> his prime as a teen idol. Yeah. And he was one of the most thoughtful and retrospective and self examining and, and just out, just, you know, here I am, I'm a genuine person kind of interviews. I've, I, I really, I, I was blown away by mm -hmm. what a great man he was. Now, 
I say great in terms, I mean, he wasn't a great statesman or anything like didn't do, you know, sign treaties and things or, but, and of course he had all the, the usual seventies problems, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, but he was a great man in the sense that he knew who he was and he knew what his boundaries were. He knew what his faults were, and he was willing to admit, you know, admit those, look them in the eye uh, and face them and, and overcome them. And I thought, this is wonderful. But it also, you know, it occurred to me, I even said to them, said to him during the interview, I said, you know, if we'd been talking 20 years ago, you would have arrived here probably in a secret entrance with a phalanx of bodyguards mm -hmm. to protect you from the screaming mobs of teenage girls. And he said, you're right. He says, and I was a different person then. Yeah. I thought, Oh, wow. That's just, just, so I mean that was that was that that interview I did that interview 25 years ago and it still sticks with me to this day how how what a terrific guy he was. Well, I feel like that sounds a lot like uh, you know in more modern times someone like Matthew McConaughey who you know you know normally you see him as the just the actor that goes mm -hmm. all right all right all right, but then uh, you start listening to him appearing on these <laughs> podcasts now and you know he's really a, he's a very deep person who's you know he's traveled all over the mm -hmm. world you know and he's he's very very profound you know he's a lot of very interesting person and, and i have to i have to mention right and i have to mention one other person who has unfortunately suffered from one of those public uh kind of perceptions that he's kind of dumb and mm -hmm. uh not real bright dan quayle our former vice president mm -hmm. who sadly just for just through a couple of accidental misspeaks and a couple of times just uh, people were convinced he was a, a lighthead uh, he, he was just, mm -hmm. just no brain i've interviewed him a couple of times he is brilliant i mean he is he is a great thinker very articulate um more so in print than he is in spoken i think honestly there's a little bit of a, sh a wiring short circuit between his brain and his mouth mm -hmm. because he sometimes will stumble over a simple phrase or something but yeah. his thinking is flawless I mean, mm -hmm. he is he's really and I, it, it, it kind of and the other thing like david cassidy he's very honest about it he knows what his reputation is he even yeah. plays into it you know with with some humor uh but uh, it's it, it's people like that who really I find very inspirational, as opposed to the people who come in and they try to maintain this public persona. And uh, you know, there's one author in particular. I will not mention this author's name. He is a very famous author of many many best-selling books, yep. who comes in and he sits down and his very posture basically says, "I dare you to interview me." Mm. Really. <laughs> Mm -hmm. so, so you say that's probably the most negative experience you've had interviewing someone is 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 that awful? let's put it this way this particular author he has he's been so rude to so many interviewers mm -hmm. that here's the question i i get people will say people will say to me who's the rudest person you've ever interviewed and before i can even answer they say was it and they mention his name mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah that's who it was mm -hmm. <laughs> famously rude in interviews very very much so yeah yeah uh going back to the dan quill thing it's it's kind of interesting how like with a with public figures like that like they could have like a very successful you know political career and all of a sudden like a, a couple a couple lines and all of a sudden it's ruined like like someone like a howard dean who like during that famous that famous speech he was mm -hmm. he was getting real worked up and he's all of a sudden he just decides to do a, a last <laughs> ah, and then all of a sudden completely ruined but then when they when they asked people that were there they never noticed it the people in the crowd when they asked people on tv they all noticed it because you know you know the cameras are zoomed in on them you can see everything You know, I remember that in real time. I watched that happen. And at the time I thought, oh, okay, he's just excited. Mm -hmm. And even the next day, two days later, after the controversy started, I'm thinking, what's the big deal? He's excited. He's full of, mm -hmm. he's full of vigor. I mean, that's what I want. And you know, not that I would have eventually voted for him. I don't know, you know, who, who knew because the campaign was still early at that point, mm -hmm. but my gosh, I thought, what a, what a, 
what a refreshing change that was from mm -hmm. the usual sedate. Oh, yes, we've won in New Hampshire. Now we plan to go to Iowa. Thank you to all my mm -hmm. supporters. Blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, he had, he, he had fire. He had fire in his campaign. Mm -hmm. Um, what, uh, do you have any advice that you would, that you would give to someone, uh, that's wanting to pursue, you know, a similar career in, you know, radio or, or podcasting or anything? Whenever somebody asks me if, uh, if I can give them advice on how to get into radio, mm -hmm. I have to be cautious with my answer because it is such a changed landscape now compared mm -hmm. to when I got in. If, if I gave people advice on how to get into radio the way I got in, they would never get in. Yeah. Uh, Cause it just doesn't work that way anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, it's more by chance. I got in in 1973 at a, like said, a, yeah, I got in at a very small station in a very small town. And what you did in those days was you got that small station, then you worked your way up to a medium-sized station, then you worked your way up to a little bit bigger station in a bigger city and kept going until you reached one of the top 10 markets, mm -hmm. which is essentially what my career path was. These days, as likely as not, you could walk into a top 10 station right now and theoretically get an on-air job. Now, mm -hmm. I don't want to raise anybody's hopes up because that still rarely happens. But in other words, we've kind of bypassed the small stations because as I was alluding to a few minutes ago, so many of those small stations now are automated, they're corporate owned, they have no local presence at all. Many of them don't, many of them literally don't have any live on air disc jockeys. All they have is canned or syndicated programming. And your chances of getting a job there, you, you might get a job there, maybe as a janitor. Um, but to break into on air, you're probably going to have to go to at least a medium sized market, uh, mm. uh, which would define maybe as Tulsa, uh, Phoenix. Uh, well, actually, Phoenix is going to be a bigger market, but uh, maybe uh, uh, Topeka, you know, yep. or, or someplace like that. As opposed as opposed to, you know, uh, I spent most of my career in Washington, D.C. Uh, or in Boston, uh, places like that. You can get it. I know people who have made their on-air debut at a station in Washington, D.C. Now mm -hmm. that's, when I got into radio, that was extremely rare. But these days, that's almost, that's, that's almost the only place that will still hire somebody mm -hmm. new. Um, so I'm giving you a very long answer to your very, <laughs> very short and that's, succinct that's okay. question. Um, but it's, it's, the essential rule is you have to get your foot in the door one way or another. Even if it's a small station, that only has one or two live personalities, get your foot in the door and maybe be a janitor, maybe answer the phones, mm -hmm. maybe, uh, you know, because uh, every station needs somebody to do the little menial tasks, make friends at the station, especially friends who are in a position to help you advance up, make an audition. Now, in, in my day, we made reels of tape or cassettes. These days, you'll probably put together an MP3 of some of your if you want to be a disc jockey, uh, show how you can be a disc jockey. If you want to be a news person, uh, do a fake newscast. If you want to be a talk show host, uh, do you know a, a quick podcast, like a, just a two or three minute little MP3 that you can send to the program director of whatever station you you want to be with, and say, "Here's what I could do. What kind of opportunities are there? Uh, maybe here, maybe at another station, maybe in another town." Mm -hmm. um, you know, again, when I was, when my career was building, you moved a lot because you had to move. I went from the small town in Northern Illinois to a little bit bigger station in Champaign-Urbana when I was at the University of Illinois. Yep. Went from there to Tulsa, Oklahoma, to a bigger station in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Then I became a news director in Charleston, South Carolina. Mm -hmm. Then I became a news director in Providence, Rhode Island, <laughs> worked part-time at a station in Boston, and then from there, moved to Washington, D.C. I did all of that in a span of uh, six years. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it can move. It, 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 you know, it, it keep, you're going to keep U-Haul in business, you know, for a little while. Uh, but eventually, you can, you can, it is still possible to become, uh, for a newcomer, to become quite a big personality in local radio. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, also, have, have there been, been any um, very important people like in your career, like uh, whether it, it could be 
a guest that was very important or you know anybody that's really impacted uh, your your radio your show well, the, the man that I mentioned a few minutes ago who came up with the title, now I've heard everything, my friend mm-hmm. Holland Cook, mm-hmm. um, he is a giant in radio. I mean, he has been for, wow, probably almost 50 years now. Uh, he started as a disc jockey and worked his way up and became program director, then mm-hmm. a program consultant. And then now he's a TV talk show host and, mm-hmm. and things like this. He's had a varied career and he's just a, and his birthday is next week. Happy birthday, Holland, if you're listening. And, uh, <laughs> but Everybody needs somebody like that. Uh, and that, that kind of goes to your previous question too, as to how to get in, find somebody who can be a mentor, find somebody who's been in the business for more than a year or two. You need somebody who's been around, who knows the business a little bit and can help steer you toward or away from one opportunity or another. One thing Holland has done for me over the years is he has not only steered me toward things that he knew would be good for me, He's kind of gently nudged me away from the things he knew would not be a good career move for me or mm-hmm. things that wouldn't be a good fit. And you need something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, another question I had was, this is a, a bit of an odd question. Um, what's, what's a question that I haven't asked that you would have liked to be asked? If you can think of one. <laughs> that is actually a great question. <laughs> I tell you, I learned this very early on when I was interviewing celebrities and big names. Very often, I realized as we were walking out of the studio and I saw them tucking their three by five cards back in their jacket pocket, they'd be saying, gee, I sure wish you'd asked me about blah, 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 blah. And it occurred to me, you know, as smart as I am, I can't come up with every question that they might've wanted to be asked. Mm-hmm. So I started asking at the end of every interview, I would say, hey, look, I'm just about out of time, but is there anything else that you wanted to add or any question you wanted me to ask you that I didn't already ask you? And usually I'd get, uh, no, you did a pretty good job, Bill, or no, you're fine. But every now and then, probably about one interview out of every four, I would get what we would now call the money quote, <laughs> the, the, the sound bite of the interview in that last question, because they had come to the studio prepared to answer something that it hadn't occurred to me to ask. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, so th- you're asking that question. That is the money question. I mean, always, mm-hmm. if you, if, if you're able to, if it's not, a, you know, uh, uh, it, I can't imagine a situation where you couldn't ask it, but as long as you're able to always ask at the end of an interview, what didn't I ask you that you wanted to be asked? What mm-hmm. have I left out? Uh, mm-hmm. that is a great, great question. Mm-hmm. So, so what, what is the question that, you wanted to be asked if there was one. <laughs> uh, you know, I'll tell you what, I will give you the answer that most people gave me. And that mm-hmm. is, you've really done a good job. And I can't think of anything really that, that I should have talked about that you didn't ask me about because you asked the right questions. Okay. Well, thank you. Um, Where, well, let well, me ask you a question. Okay. Let, let me ask you a question. Where, where is your podcast going? I mean, where do you see it uh, a year from now? What, what is your long-term picture for, for your podcast? Ooh, that's a, that's a good question. <laughs> hmm. Well, um, I, I picture really growing it out, you know, trying to get, Maybe I've given you something to think about this week. Yeah. Try to try to get it out to not just, not just, um, <laughs> American listeners, which is the majority, uh, but get out to more international, which I have some, um, you know, um, Nico, if you're listening to this, um, (laughs) um, in France, um, but yeah, I suppose that's a, that's an interesting question. Um, (laughs) Mm -hmm. I suppose it'd be that. It, it, it does it really does help focus things if, if you if you stop it because I do this pretty much on an annual basis usually around the end of the year now especially now with my podcast as I'm wrapping up season two about to head into season three I'm thinking all right where am I going with this I mean it, it's sort of like if you're on a road trip you pause you pull over to the side of the road for a minute recheck mm-hmm. your map and say all right am I still headed to where I want to be going mm-hmm. and 
Maybe you'll change course slightly. Maybe you'll maybe you'll change your theme song for your podcast. Maybe yeah. you'll change the name of the podcast. Maybe you'll change your profile picture. Mm -hmm. Maybe you'll add some new Google, you know, advertising um, strategy. Maybe you'll do something else. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, something. Maybe you'll just have in mind. All right, I would like to interview this person, this person, this person, this person mm -hmm. in the coming year. Whatever it is, um, it helps to refine. Keep keep it sharp and keep it in focus and just re-examine where where does you're going now, you know from from the episodes that I've seen on your podcast you mm -hmm. you've got a great foundation yeah and yeah. you're uh, you're heading in in clearly in the right direction mm -hmm. um, so I would keep doing what you're doing mm -hmm. but in your mind and I'm, don't listen to anybody say you should do this you should do that no do mm -hmm. what you want to do be authentic mm -hmm. like we were saying a moment ago and you'll go places yeah yeah I suppose. Well, pr probably just try to branch out and get get even more even more guests on that I want to get on. You know, um, maybe change my strategy to try to to try to attract more people on. You know, <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so you mentioned earlier that uh, you were yeah, thinking. Oh, what was that? No, I was just going to say you can build on your success now. When you go to a publicist who's who's representing some music, musician that you want to interview, you can say, well, you know, I've done interviews with this person, this person, this person, this person, and listen to those podcasts, see what I can do, because they always want to know, all right, first of all, they want to know if you're going to be for real. Are you going to ask mm -hmm. dumb questions or are you a good interviewer? Mm -hmm. And you're a good mm -hmm. interviewer. Second thing they're going to want to know is how, who's your audience, how big your audience is, what's the reach, how's it going to help us? Mm -hmm. You know, if I let you interview this person that I represent, um, but the more of those you can convince that it, it literally is a ladder and you go mm -hmm. up the ladder and eventually you'll get to, you know, I mean, I, I didn't start by interviewing Jimmy Carter and Barack Obama and, you know, mm -hmm. you know yeah. Kirk Douglas and Charlton Heston and all that. Yeah. I started by interviewing people you've never heard of. <laughs> and, and, and once they, once the publicists, once they get the gatekeepers, once they understand you're for real and that you're serious and you're a good interviewer, mm -hmm. and especially if the people you've interviewed have gone back to their publicists and said, hey, that Chris Wright, he's really good. Mm -hmm. you, should, you should book more people with him. Yeah. Um, that's how it works. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Another thing that I've been planning to do is put up, as I was planning on uh, recording a couple, uh, a few, you know, radio plays, that sort of thing to put on the podcast, which would be pretty fun mm -hmm. to do. Mm -hmm. so I'm working I'm working on that a little bit um, mm -hmm. um, and you, you mentioned earlier that uh, you had considered writing a book are you, are you what was that mm -hmm. am, I what? am I what no I was just gonna ask you are you are you collaborate are you collaborating with other podcasters I mean are you doing like in terms oh, yeah. of a radio play or doing maybe something where where you're doing one part and they're doing another part maybe you even have somebody a third person doing a third part and then somebody assembles it all together that'd be very cool yeah yeah I I collaborate with Shakrut, the podcast of cultural differences yeah oh okay so, uh, I have a uh, I, I know the hosts over there so <laughs> So, um, okay. yeah, you, you mentioned uh, earlier that you were thinking of uh, writing a book uh, called uh, Now I've Heard Everything. So, um, so what, what plans do you have for that? Or what's, what's that going to be about? That too is something because the publishing, the book publishing business mm -hmm. has changed almost as much as the radio industry has. And when I first, when I was first shopping that book around to publishers, that was literally 20 years ago. It was back in 1999, 2000, somewhere around there. And I actually had a couple of publishers who were interested, but mm -hmm. ultimately they said no to me because I wasn't big enough. I wasn't a well enough known name, which mm -hmm. I, you know, I, from their point of view makes sense. I mean, mm -hmm. I had, you know, a good, good size audience, but I was large. I wasn't a Howard Stern or a Rush Limbaugh or you know, mm -hmm. somebody with a big marketable name. Yeah. Since then, the publishing landscape has changed a lot. And now, to be honest, if I were, my, my plans for a book are, are way in the back burner. I mean, I'm the, the podcasting is my focus right now. Mm -hmm. But if I do a book, it will probably be a self-published multimedia book where you would have text and photos mm -hmm. and maybe even some videos and a lot of audio. <laughs> um, and it would be very interactive. So I'm... 
again, that, that's going to be a lot of, probably if I transcribed or had somebody transcribe all my interviews, mm -hmm. that could make a, a reasonably marketable book. But boy, you talk about labor intensive. <laughs> that's, I've, I've tried transcribing interviews. It's a pain. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. Plus yeah. it loses something. I mean, to, to read something that Dolly Parton said is one thing, but to hear Dolly Parton say it, mm -hmm. Uh, with that little giggle that she has mm -hmm. is something entirely different. You lose and the that's, emotion why I, that's why I would have to do a multimedia book. You lose the emotion. In the yeah, it, it, it's, it, yeah, exactly. And uh, it, it, even the most articulate people, um, when you transcribe their exact words, they come out sounding kind of ordinary. I mean, because very few people speak in quotations, mm -hmm. you know, maybe like Mark Twain did. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, I've interviewed a couple of those people, actually. They're, 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 it's remarkable uh, so when you find somebody like that. But 99% of people, again, coming back to what I said a moment ago, they're just ordinary people. Mm -hmm. And they talk like ordinary people talk in incomplete mm -hmm. sentences without much punctuation mm -hmm. and skipping freely from yep. one topic to the next. Um and it, it's, it just doesn't come across well. Yeah, with the possible exception of Neil deGrasse Tyson, who seems like whatever he says is always super profound, you know, and yes. it's, it's always very cool. Yes, yes. And, right, and, and, and another one who was that way was Andrew Young, who was, mm -hmm. uh, you may remember, the former ambassador to the United Nations, former mm -hmm. congressman, former mayor of Atlanta. And what few people remember is that he was also a very close confidant of Martin Luther King Jr. Wow. And in fact, Andrew Young was alongside Martin Luther King when King was assassinated in Memphis. One of the first, he was, Andrew Young was one of the people on the balcony at the Lorraine Motel when the shot rang out that killed Martin Luther King. Yeah. And Andrew Young is, oh, he is just a remarkable, intelligent, intelligent doesn't go far enough to describe Andrew Young. He was just, you talk about somebody who speaks in quotations, Andrew mm -hmm. Young. It, it, mm -hmm. No, no doubt. Uh, it was that was it was, it was a life changing interview. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you know, have have you considered doing a you know any any more new uh, interviews uh, via the pot via your podcast, or is it mostly going to be you know old clips from the radio days? Well, as much as I like my archive, and I love my archive because I've got literally thousands more interviews that I could choose from. It's, it's kind of hard to choose which ones mm -hmm. I'm going to put. It's like picking which of your children are your favorites. Um, but actually, uh, it's interesting you would ask me that. And I will, this is another piece of news I'm making on your podcast. I've never, I've not revealed this publicly yet, mm -hmm. but I am in fact thinking about doing some fresh interviews again, because I kind of miss it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you know how, you, you know how, do you have dreams about things that, that you wish for? I mean, or things that you miss doing, I keep having recurring dreams of interviewing. And, mm -hmm. and in my dreams, I've met people I've never met in, or interviewed in real life. I've met the mm -hmm. Queen of England. I've met Jonathan Winters. I've met Steve Martin uh, in my dreams. <laughs> because <laughs> it's like, I want to, I want to start interviewing again. Mm -hmm. So my, I'm not making an official announcement, but I will give you the partial scoop. I am thinking about perhaps later in 2021, resuming a light schedule of a few okay. selected, uh, like big, either celebrity or, or at least big, you know, who I'd really like to interview is um, Anthony Rizzo, the Cubs. Um, oh, he's my favorite Cub. Okay. Wow. <laughs> That'd be a good one. Okay. So. It, 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 yeah, it would be people. It would be people like that. I mean, again, doing what I want to do. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm not, you know, I, I've done a lot of interviews over the years, maybe as a favor to a publicist because they got me somebody good, so I owe them a favor. So I'll interview this person mm -hmm. I've never heard of. I enjoyed it, but I probably wouldn't have chosen that person. Mm -hmm. But if I start doing fresh interviews again, I probably will only do the ones that I really want to do, and uh, so maybe one or two a month maybe mm -hmm. instead of the four or five a day I used to do back in the day. Oof. That's a, that's a heavy, that's a heavy schedule right there. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> but it also made for some very interesting juxtapositions. Mm -hmm. There was one day in, I think it was September of 1994. In one day, I started the day with the aforementioned Dolly Parton, 
Then later in the day, I had George Takei, uh, okay. you know, for the Mr. Uh, Mr. Um, uh, Sulu from Star Trek. And now mm -hmm. he's, he's the famous, uh, you know, internet presence of, uh, in his own right. Mm -hmm. And then I closed out the day with, are you ready for this? Audrey Meadows who played Alice Cramden on the Honeymooners back in the 1950s. So mm -hmm. in one day, Dolly Parton and George Takei and Audrey Meadows, all in one day. What a day. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, and, and, those, and that, was, that kind of day was not uncommon for mm -hmm. me. And I, I, I had a blast. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. That's why I say my archive, I have, <laughs> I have so much I want so to share. Mm -hmm. Do you, do you still keep in touch with any of these people or? There are some people that I do. Uh, there are some people that I'm friends on Facebook with. So mm -hmm. we exchange greetings from time to time. Um, there's only maybe one or two uh, fairly well-known people with whom I'm in frequent touch. Uh, mm -hmm. One of whom is the author slash TV producer, Brad Meltzer. Okay. Uh, who you may know from the political thrillers that he writes. And he mm -hmm. also has, a, he had, he was behind that TV show a few years ago. Uh, what was it? Bobby and it, it was a show, a show about the Kennedys, I guess, mm -hmm. or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, he, he also has some sort of, I forget what the name of it is. I really should know this. Uh, he has like an unsolved mysteries kind of show, um, uh, you know, historical mysteries. But Brad is, oh my gosh, Brad is one of the sweetest guys in the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, he never fails to ask about my wife and our kids and things like that. Uh, yeah. just, a, just a very nice guy. Yeah. So um, I think that's about all I have for today. You know, maybe maybe someday in um, in forty years, I'll I'll take some of my old recordings and I'll make <laughs> and whatever replaces podcasts, I'll put them onto that onto that new form, uh, and I'll I'll call it. I I think it's gonna be holograms. <laughs> I'll call it now. I've heard everything twice. <laughs> um, there you go. There yeah. you go. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I, I, no, I, 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 I definitely would encourage you to save everything because mm -hmm. that's, I, I don't know what possessed me to start saving things way back in the 1980s when I started this, but I'm mm -hmm. glad I did. So mm -hmm. I would, same advice to you, save, especially now when you save everything just you know, on a thumb drive, you know, you can save a year's worth of interviews on a, on a single USB drive, do it. I mean, there's no reason to throw anything away these days. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It'll, it'll, it'll be fun. So um, just to end up, where can people find you if they want to, if they want to learn more? Uh, my website that goes along with the podcast, it, my website is heardeverything.com. And I chose that because I wasn't sure people would know, think to put in the apostrophe in I've. Mm -hmm. So instead of now I've heard everything, I just chose heardeverything.com. Mm -hmm. The podcast, which is available on all major podcast platforms, is now I've heard everything. If you go to say the Apple podcast or Google podcast or Spotify or any of those, and you search for now I've heard everything, it'll be right there. And I would encourage your listeners to uh, at least try it out. See if, uh, you know, see if there's somebody on there that you like this coming week, uh, the week of December 14th, uh, Graham Nash, Kitty Carlisle, who you may, my, your older listeners may remember from uh, back in the day on To Tell the Truth and, and things like mm. that. Also, she was in a Marx Brothers movie. She tells great stories in this interview about Groucho Marx working with him. <laughs> and then on Friday of this coming week, a guy by the name of Egil Krog. Egil Krog, you may not remember, but Egil Krog was a, like a lower level staffer in the Nixon White House. Yep. Egil Krog was there the day that Elvis Presley just randomly showed up at the White House and wanted to meet the president. Yeah. And the most surreal scene of Elvis Presley shaking hands with Richard Nixon in the Oval Office. So Egil Krog was there and he wrote a book about it and I interviewed him. So he'll be on Now I've Heard Everything this week. Anyway, that, that was that a really nice promo for my show or what? That, that was a great promo. Yeah. So I, I highly recommend your show, <laughs> you know, um, you know, even if you just listen to people that you know, but I, I recommend that you listen to people that you don't know because then you'll then you'll learn something and then you'll know everything. <laughs> <laughs> yep. well, at least you'll be entertained for 15 minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> absolutely. Um, and also uh, you can be found on TikTok. 
Uh, my TikTok name is Heard Everything. Yep. Okay, so now it is time to bid adieu to Bill Thompson. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. Chris, the pleasure has been all mine. You were a terrific interviewer, and I wish you great success. Thank you. Thank you. So I am Chris Wright. You're watching Point Counterpoint.